podcast, Crypto Corner, brought to you by Novik. I'm your host, Nico Vori. Today, we are going to talk all about data and analytics and how to better understand the Web3 player. As the legendary engineer W. Edwards Deming put it, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And then on the other hand, as Jim Barksdale is the founder of Netscape, uh, joked, if we have data, let's look at the data. But if all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. And so that's kind of the framing for this episode uh, today. Web 2 is uh, the Demings world where there is data for everything to understand the user behavior. Web 3, uh, as we mostly know by now, is very much uh, a world of opinions uh, and a lack of great data to, to analyze user behavior and, and player behavior. And so what we're going to be doing today uh, is actually kind of a follow-on from a previous episode we did for the Metacast. Uh, we, we did an episode uh, called uh, Building the Web3 Marketing Stack. And that was a really surprisingly, uh, perhaps, or maybe not surprisingly, uh, popular episode. And we had a lot of follow-on questions uh, and thoughts coming in from, from our listeners um, after that episode. And so what we wanted to do is, is not necessarily look at the, the marketing stack again, but really looking at that data an analytics question, which is why is there such a paucity of great data available in the world of Web3? Uh, in particular, kind of understanding that player behavior across Web2 and Web3. Uh, and so that's the lens for this particular episode. And to answer that question, we have a phenomenal guest today. Uh, he is called Nathan Snell. Uh, he's the founder of a company called Raylion, which is specifically building Web3 analytics tools. Uh, Raylion is all about getting actionable insights for Web3, which of course exists in Web2 um, in spades, but just doesn't get in Web3. Uh, and we are going to get answers, not just to help with our marketing efforts uh, for game developers in Web3, but also to understand how to find more users, where to understand your, where are people congregating in Web3, uh, and then, of course, understanding your existing users better. So without further ado, Nathan Snell, great to have you here. Welcome to the pod. Okay, thank you. Good to be here. And uh, yeah, I listened out other, to that other episode you mentioned. It was awesome. And yeah, I've been listening for a while. So happy to be here and, and help provide some hopefully good information. Awesome. Well, we are going to drive uh, right into this. So do why it. don't we kick off with a quick overview of you, Nathan, uh, kind of your journey into, into Web3. I know you've got a, a strong background in analytics from, from your, your prior Web2 career. Um, and then, of course, understanding what Raylion does. And then what is the current state of Web3 analytics? Why is it so hard to understand Web3 player behavior at this moment in time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll spend uh, just a brief time on, on my background, your point, and since then we'll dive into the more fun stuff. So, yeah, I mean, so I came from Web2. Um, I spent more than a decade in fintech and actually uh, was a co-founder of a company called Encino. You can see a little bit of the memento of me there. Um, you know, we took it public in 2020 at about a $7 billion valuation. So, you know, very familiar with, you know, uh, with the fintech space in particular, that's actually how I got into uh, into crypto was really, as you might suspect, from the fintech side, you know, really getting the DeFi, observing it a lot from a company standpoint and a personal standpoint, and then really beginning of last year, um, you know, left the company and I'd say fell further down the, uh, the, the Web3 or crypto rabbit hole um, before ultimately talking with a lot of different projects and sort of hearing the same problems over and over, you know, a lot on what you were just describing, right? It's, People saying, you know, that they can't understand who their users are. They can't engage with those users. You know, they don't have to, they don't know how to connect the sort of Web two activity or business activity to things that happen on chain. And uh, finally, after hearing about it from just about every project we talked to, uh, big and small, uh, it sort of became clear of like, okay, like there's a problem to solve here. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what really led us into to creating Raylion. And 
and the idea of building out this sort of Web3 specific, you know, uh, marketing analytics and sort of engagement platform was, was kind of the goal there. Awesome. And I have a kind of a clarifying question. We, we, we so often say, you know, we want to understand user behavior. We want to understand player behavior. Can you tell me what you mean by that? When, when we talk about understanding player behavior or user behavior, what does that actually mean fundamentally to you? Um, and and why, why build Rayleon to, to better, you know, solve that problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for us, you know, when, when I talk about uh, understanding user behavior and what that means, I mean, to me, it's really about, you know, knowing, um, like knowing what behaviors your users show so you can determine whether they're inclined to take the action that you want and being able to measure those results. Uh, and I know, like, depending on sort of what side you're on, that sounds, you know, um, you know, that sounds maybe like very targeted, right, of like the actions that you want. But I think, you know, on, on both sides, right, it lends itself to, you know, if you're a game developer, like you want your users to be engaged. You want your core gameplay loop to be fun. So like those analytics become really important to improving the game. It also does become important to things like LTV and things of that sort of, you know, making sure that, you know, that the offers that you're showing players are in fact attractive and they're, you know, going to be something that's accretive to the player, to the game dev and things of that sort. So when we think about, you know, what is understanding you know, users mean, that tends to be how we sort of encapsulate that, right? Is it, you know, not just sort of understanding who the user is, which I'd say tends to be more like standard uh, marketing demographics, right? But really understanding like how do they behave? And then how do we sort of help drive the right sorts of actions or understand the kinds of actions they want to take as a result of that? And what do you um, think is the biggest gap right now between Web 2 and Web 3? I mean, again, Web 2 has an absolute plethora of t- tools for all kinds of things, as, you know, right down to like literally like gaming genre specific tools, right? There will be mm-hmm. certain analytics platforms that are like specifically for casual games or specifically for core games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously across different platforms and form factors and iOS versus Android and so on and so forth. Um, and, and that's just, you know, obviously that there's been a lot more time for those to develop, you know, uh, over the years. What's the biggest gap do you think between web two and web three? Like what is the biggest hole or the biggest black box that is currently you're hearing from developers that you're talking to um, Mm. that they're like, I really wish I could do X. So that's a great question. I mean, I think to me, it sort of breaks down into three areas. Um, You know, one is like on the pure web three data side, uh, the majority of platforms and everything that have been available are predominantly uh, like trader oriented, right? So it tends to be very macroeconomic. So usually when you talk about Web3 data, uh, everybody thinks about Dune and Nansen, for example, which are both amazing companies. You know, I mean, like we, you know, we use them, you know, even like I use them personally, um, you know, but, you know, when you think about like the kinds of charts or dashboards that you see on those, again, it's, you know, it's TVL, it's what, you know, what's going up, you know, what's going up with respect to it. Um, you know, a lot of those sort of macroeconomic uh, or sort of macro community sort of, sort of aspects. Um, you know, and when it comes to understanding user behavior, right, like, you know, you may see sort of the long tail impact to those factors. Um, but, you know, but there really hasn't been anybody that has been focused on trying to get to some of that really, really challenging data, which kind of gets into the second, you know, the second point. Um, it's like that's there, but, you know, but really looking at it almost from like the wallet perspective, right, or the user perspective and saying, okay, yes, you know, like there's, you know, numbers are going up and the TVL is this or what have you. But, you know, let's focus on the wallet and really start to apply an interpretation layer, if you will, to understand you know, not just like, are the numbering up or did a trade happen, but, you know, who did a trade happen with and what was the amount for and, again, and just more of those sort of, uh, you know, more of those behavioral aspects, right, of, of the wallet. So that's, a, so that's one area. Um, you know, the second piece of that, too, is, and I kind of alluded to this, 
you know, uh, while um, like while the blockchain data is technically like public and available to everyone, that doesn't mean that it's easy to get access to. Right? It doesn't mean that it's that it's, that it's not complicated. So, you know, you see some companies, and even early on when we were talking with uh, with some of the largest projects, you know, some of the really big ones, they've grown this a little bit, right? But it's taken a lot of development and engineering time, and data engineering, and things of that sort. Um, you know, because even though the data is there, it doesn't mean that it's in a valuable state, right? So, like if you think about Google, for instance. I mean, like technically web pages are public, right? Anybody can go out and index a web page. And yet Google's built obviously an entire empire on public data by making it useful, by making it actionable and by being able to do something more with it. Um, so that's kind of the second piece. And I think, um, you know, the third and then I'll, you know, and I'll stop, um, you know, is really, uh, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of like of money going even from a VC standpoint into data like investment wise. Uh, but even, you know, one of the challenges we dealt with early on is, you know, while there's more and more sort of data providers growing or APIs growing, you know, they still tend to be largely focused on, you know, making an NFT marketplace better, right? Or building, I call it like a more lightweight um, data-oriented DAP. You know, it's not really geared towards, you know, really in-depth, deep sort of big data analytics kind of volumes and analysis and sort of number crunching, if you will, that's required to get to, you know, behavioral analytics or, or into sort of an insight, you know, that you know, that's really simple, like, cool, like, where did these new users come from, you know, before us? Right. Um, so those kind of those tend to be the kind of the three things that we've seen to date. That's that's been a challenge as far as like why aren't more providing able to actually get access to this. So I want to uh, so great list there, and, and actually a lot of those I, I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go into the the second one you you brought up uh, first because this is the almost the ultimate irony of 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 blockchain in in general, but for games in particular, which is this notion that everything is public, right? It's Mm -hmm. all there for anybody to look at, Mm -hmm. but it's just incredibly difficult, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you build your own tools, which, you know, most game devs don't want to do, or most developers don't want to do, right? They just, they want to do what they're good at, right? And so as a game dev, I want to just focus on making a game and let somebody else deal with that, that data side of things. Um, And so that's kind of the ultimate irony in my mind is, is, you know, everything that we're doing on chain is, is theoretically, you know, transparent and public and we can just look at it and say, Oh, okay. They came from here and they have these other NFTs in their wallet and this is what Mm -hmm. they did right before. And here are the transactions and they're this active or that active. Um, and and the irony is that that's just really really hard to do or painful. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's not hard is maybe the wrong word, but painful to do, right? And a little bit of both. So <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both, right? And so I'm curious to hear, uh, you know, how do you think about that that problem? How do you think about that irony? In, in my mind, it is an irony <laughs> because mm-hmm. you know, in Web two, all of my game data is completely proprietary, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to share what my players are doing with anybody else unless I want to share it, and you know that's something I'm doing deliberately, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and here, it's it's the polar opposite. Like, everything in some other game or some other dApp is completely there for anybody to look at. At least the on-chain part is. And we'll get to the off-chain part soon. And mm-hmm. I'm just very interested to hear how you think about that problem and how are you tackling that problem um, in terms of actually getting something actionable out of there. Something mm-hmm. that you can actually use um, both for competitive intel and competitive analysis, but also, of mm-hmm. course, for you know, bettering your own product, making your own product more sticky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, man, it, it, I mean, there's there's a lot of different aspects of it. I mean, I, I think if I if I were to boil it down, um, you know, to like how we tend to think about it is it's sort of twofold, you know, and, and maybe in, in simple terms, you know, one is like there's just the complexity of, of getting the data, right? Um, you know, and I think. You know, getting the data isn't particularly, you know, challenging. Like when you get into kind of the volumes that we're dealing with, right, you know, you get into more infrastructure needs. But I'd say, 
you know, um, you know, getting the data, like there's aspects of that and being able to get it in the right format. Um, I think being able to interpret it, right, is, is really uh, one of the bigger challenges. So to your point, like even the idea of knowing, cool, so, you know, a player is holding some ERC-20 token with some random address, right? And knowing like, what does that address even mean? Like, and, and there's a whole lot, there's a whole sort of layer of enrichment that lives around that, right? So that's where I think a lot of people that, that start off or sort of embark to build it themselves, uh, I, I think underestimate at times the complexity that goes along with like, okay, well, you know, that's great that you, like the, this player has the NFT, but there's a whole litany of other questions, which kind of gets to the second piece, you know, to your point of like, how do you make this actionable, right? So at the end of the day, like good behavioral data is fundamentally actionable data, right? And that means that it needs to be sort of synthesized in a way that doesn't require, to your point, a game dev to spend hours analyzing a bunch of data, right? Ideally, it sort of it bubbles up in a way where you can look at it and go, okay, cool. Like, like I immediately understand what this says and I know how to put it into action. So like with the NFT example, you know, we've got projects, for instance, um, you know, the use Raylion where, you know, they've gone through and, uh, and they've looked at, you know, to, to, your, to your example, you know, who are sort of, who are holding particular NFTs. But they don't just look at that, right? They'll say, okay, well, of those holders, how many more primary sales, right? In other words, they minted it for the first time versus how many of them purchased it secondary. And if they bought it secondary, how much did they pay for it? And like, are they flippers, right? So you get into like all these other dynamics, behavior become really, really valuable. But to your point, yeah, the data is there, but there's quite a lot of sort of number crunching, enrichment, things like that that has to happen to be able to get to something as simple sounding as they have the NFT, you know, they were the primary mentor and this is what they pay on average. And as a result, this is why you actually want to target them. So. Uh, great uh, segue into, into one of the questions I've been wanting to ask. Player personas. Um, mm-hmm. Player personas are absolutely critical, you know, in, in, in gaming in general and understanding like who are you making this game for? What is, where is it going to resonate? What are the demographics? Where am I going to find these people? Um, how do I keep them engaged? And, and that's one of the things that's it's relatively straightforward to do in Web2 gaming um, mm-hmm. is to develop these player personas and then to target them through the various places that they congregate online, whether it be through websites or social or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how is this different in Web3? What, what makes building these personas, because I find this a challenge for us, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, uh, how is this different in Web3? How can game devs go about or start to think about developing better and more targeted uh, player personas the way they can currently in Web2? Which is not to mm-hmm. say it's, it's, it's like, oh, it's so easy. Like, oh, anybody can do it. <laughs> of course, it's still hard. You still have to understand sure. like a lot of the psychologies that go into you know, playing a certain kind of game and you know, why mm-hmm. is this game going to resonate versus that game. But at, at least it's a known entity in Web2. But in Web3, it's, it's, it's really quite challenging to figure mm-hmm. out how to do that. And, and that's something that I struggle with personally as a game dev, and I know others do too. And I'm, I'm very curious to hear because it's a perfect kind of uh, follow-up question for what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we do this? And why is it different in Web3? Yeah, it, it's just funny. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know, like when I think about like the difference in Web3, you know, and, and really to the points that you made, I don't think there's much of a strategic difference, right? I mean, to your point, like the the value that personas provide in terms of being able to like cluster, right, or group users, you know, um, you know, for into whatever sort of categories you want. And then as a result, being able to target them, I think like, con- you know, conceptually, the strategy of that for Web 2 and Web 3, uh, at least from what we're seeing, I mean, is, is the same, right? It's like, it's the same sort of mentality. Um, and where the challenge comes in, you know, really to so one of your first questions is um, like, there's just the access to the data has been really difficult to get. Um, so like, you know, until you had certain platforms available, um, you know, that made it sort of no code easy. Um, you know, it basically the only results that you were the only way that you could do it was by going back and 
you know, pulling the data yourself, having developers run through it, right? It was, it was a very manual and, and arduous process. So, you know, to, to your exact your point on the Web3 side, you know, when, like, when it takes, you know, hours and hours and hours of really valuable developer time, right? Time where instead of making the game way more fun and awesome, which is what, you know, myself as a game, right? What I want, you know, spending time, you know, doing something that's still valuable, right? But a lot of time into trying to make sure that different, you know, that the persona of the game can grow in different ways, that becomes a really challenging trade-off. Um, and, and that's largely because there hasn't really been, you know, good technology around to make it sort of push button easy, right? Or, or no code easy. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing too of it is that, um, yeah, there's a, like if you're native to web, you know, native to web three, like the concept sometimes of even creating a persona we find is newer. So, you know, we've actually been working with a number of different projects recently, um, actually going through this process with them. Right. Uh, and, and I'd say, and we're finding there's, I'd say there's different degrees of maturity and sort of understanding like how to create this persona strategy and how to execute it. Uh, and some of it's, you know, we've got some folks that are, you know, more web two native, right. And they kind of, they have it, they have that understanding already. And they've even have sort of well-documented, like, this is what we think our personas would look like. And then we can kind of work alongside them to say, great, well, here's sort of what that tar looks like, combining your Web2, Web3 data and so on. But then we have others, right, that it's more like they've heard it and they're like, hey, like, we know we need personas, but we're like, you know, they're not sure, you know, how to think about it. They don't, you know, they don't know where to start on Web2 or Web3. So I think, you know, even because of the paradigm, right, of you've got Web3 native folks that are making great things, you've got sort of Web2 folks kind of innovating and, and, and leveraging Web3, you've got some of those sort of down in place too that, uh, that I think becomes sort of a learning curve challenge, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's. I want to dig a little deeper on this personas piece because it's, uh, in fact, this last episode I have referred to, which is the building the marketing stack episode. Uh, we had uh, Quinn from from Sky Mavis, um, mm-hmm. and I had actually seen him or somebody from his team talk earlier uh, about how they have uh, a whole bunch of personas that don't really exist in Web two at all, um, mm-hmm. and they're they're still very very valuable. They 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 want these people around. Um, and th- these are personas who are, you know, holders, but not players. They don't want to play mm-hmm. the game necessarily, but they want to be a yep. part of the decision-making process. They're in the DAO, for example. Um, and there, there, are, there are a number of different personas that they identified that don't really exist in, in Web 2, mm-hmm. uh, but do in Web 3. And if, traditionally, you'd be like, well, if you're not playing the game, like, I don't know if that's, you, you're valuable to, 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 to the experience. But they find... Sky Mavis finds that these folks in the Axia community are very valuable, even though they're mm-hmm. not playing the game. Um, and then, of course, there are the value extractive folks who are, you know, just pulling value out of the the, the economy. And I think those are just very unique Web three specific things to think about. And I, I wonder. I, my follow on question to you really is: I wonder how does you know how do you help folks understand and really uncover these types of personas that don't necessarily have an, an analog from the mm. Web2 world. Um, how do you even start thinking about that? It's, it's a really interesting yeah. area that, that I find fascinating personally as a developer. Because, you know, understand, like, basically we're talking about human beings, right? These are all human beings. These right. human beings all play games or invest in NFTs or flip NFTs for whatever reason. Like, they all have their motivations, mm-hmm. right? But they're all human beings, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and data only goes so far, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a data point can only tell you so much about that human being. And how do you go deeper? How do you get that extra insight 
mm. uh, to really uncover this this notion of like, wow, like this, this is a whole different community of people mm. that consists of gamers and holders and investors and owners and the owner of the DAO class and the folks who want to speak and the social whales and, you know, like it goes so much broader. I know yeah. I'm like kind of hitting this point pretty hard, but like it goes so much broader than what we've ever really seen mm-hmm. in Web2 or in any game in my career. Uh, obviously, there's lots of different folk, but boy, like, is it different in Web3, in my opinion? Um, yeah, and so yeah, I'm just very curious to hear your thoughts on that. And how do you start to go about thinking about like uncovering these different types of personas um, mm. and really figuring out what their relative value is or their relative importance is to your particular product or game? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there is um, like, there's definitely sort of your more traditional personas that I think still apply, but you're right. There is sort of a much broader universe of, uh, of like what, uh, like uh, what's important, right, to a project, you know, that, that is really unique to Web3. And I, and I think, you know, the last part of what you're saying, uh, to me anyway, is, is part of at least how, you know, how we think about it and how, how we've been seeing successful projects like, you know, the folks at Sky Mavis, um, you know, starting to kind of tune them and get to like, what is the right persona? Um, you know, and, and that's really around measuring, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, part of the value in your quote kind of alluded to this at the beginning is, you know, you're, you're making an assumption, right? And I think, you know, part of the value of having this sort of user data and the behavioral data and the sort of marketing analytic data is, you know, is to be able to sort of, you know, see what things could inform, right? You know, the kinds of assumptions you want to make, be able to do the targeting around it and then measure the results, right? So to be able to see, you know, like what kind, you know, how, how valuable is sort of a community whale or a DAO voter or, you know, or what, or what have you, you know, um, you know, overall to, you know, to sort of the ecosystem. Um, and, and then honestly, I think there's, you know, and we're starting to find this already and start to kind of roll this out within our product is there's also just new metrics, you know, to your, so um, hopefully Quinn doesn't mind. I don't know how, you know, how much you shared on it, but, you know, Quinn and I were talking about, um, you know, it's so like there's LTV, right? Which is ultimately measuring the value of a player. But like, as these ecosystems are going more, you know, um, you know, Quinn was sort of describing even this idea of like the network LTV, right? So the idea of, you know, there, there probably is to your point of the personas, not even just your player personas and what they look like, but your sort of ecosystem personas, right? And how do we make sure that, you know, those are being fostered in the right way and that they're valued in the right way because the last thing you want to do, right, as a game that's creating this thriving community is to inadvertently alienate, the, you know, the community, right, or market makers or what have you that are that are not necessarily even playing the game but are really excited about it, you know, that are they're involved in, in engaging what's going on. You know, so there's things like that that we're seeing as well as, um, you know, some of the stuff that we pull together analytics-wise, um, you know, combining Web2 is even the idea of, like, new engagements and wallet connections. So, you know, if you think about like the sort of standard flow, uh, you know, of user activity, again, these are sort of new, you know, new metrics that come out where it's like somebody could come to your, you know, come to your game and depending on the game it is, say it's a, you know, it's a web-based game or a mobile game, maybe they connect their wallet, but then they never do anything, right? Well, like that's, that's sort of a new sort of marketing funnel or onboarding funnel that has to be considered, you know, versus somebody who, you know, who connects their wallet you know, and maybe, you know, and it's the first time you've ever seen them and then they do something, right? So, you know, there are a lot of these sort of newer nuanced uh, metrics. And I think frankly, more as we all sort of, you know, get better data and work together uh, to kind of iterate and, and test and experiment. But I think it still fundamentally comes back to, you know, you, you have to measure it, right? So I think being able to have a really easy way, um, you know, to be able to do this targeting and we see, uh, excuse me, we see folks, you know, in our product doing this today where, you know, they'll create sort of broader, you know, broader, per, you know, personas or art your audiences. And then they'll go really narrow, right? Of like, okay, I want to know like how many people, you know, just our primary sales folks, how many people, you know, to your point, have been LPs, you know, so like on the deck side, for instance, we've got folks that have targeted LPs, but it's like how many have been LPs on a specific exchange and have done these other things? And I think you start to, as a result of having the, you know, the ability to create really narrow audiences in an easy way, can see, right? 
like, is it working? Is it not working? What is the value of that? And do you adjust or pivot over time or that sort of thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how uh, in Web3, the importance of individuals becomes almost like so much bigger than it is in, in Web2. Uh, you can have just one person or a handful of folks, handful of human beings who can truly sway a community in one way or the other. And I'm not talking about the influencers and the shillers from crypto <laughs> Twitter. I'm talking about the actual community members who are truly yeah. part of that community. Um, and of course, that's always existed to a degree in Web2, you know, where you've had the, the players like people look up to if it's a skill-based game, they're like, wow, this, you know, or, or streamers um, uh, mm. in that genre of gaming. But it, it becomes almost outsized uh, importance in, in Web3. And I, I wonder how, uh, how does, does the data analysis change in order to identify those people? Or like, you know, seg it's one thing to segment your player base and say, okay, we got this segment, this segment, this segment, this segment, mm -hmm. and kind of understanding those personas kind of come back to that point. Um, but here it's almost like, oh, we have these like eight individuals who like, here's the DAO guy, like here's mm -hmm. the social whale, here's the one who sets the tone for the gameplay, right? Um, is, is, there a, is there a place for that in the data analysis? Or, or is, that, is that more of a qualitative thing where you as the game dev and you as the community team needs to just be like, okay, I got to have the finger on the pulse on these individuals, but it's not really a data question, um, or is it? I mean, I, I think a lot of it can still come down to data. I mean, so, you know, in most cases, if, if it's happening on chain, right, then you can still run analytics on DAO votes. And, and again, if you're sort of blending Web 2 and Web 3 data, you can sort of draw the lines and the parallels, right, to say, oh, awesome, you know, this user has been active in game, and they're also voting every single time, you know, you know, uh, you know in the DAO or, or for whatever comes up. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's aspects to that. But also at the same time, right, I mean, you know, to your point, like a community is fundamentally about relationship. So, you know, from a data standpoint, I think, the data should help, you know, should help do things at scale, right? So it's, you know, it's, in some cases it confirms gut, you know, sort of gut intuition, it confirms assumptions or, you know, or it, um, you know, rejects assumptions, right? And shows that they're not right, you know, but there's still, you know, there still needs to be that sort of interaction, you know, from game devs to the community. I mean, and, and there's always going to be, um, you know, those folks, right, that are special that like, you can't really boil down into a single wallet and say, or user and say, oh yeah, like this user is clearly really valuable because, you know, like there's a point where like the trying to, trying to bring in data, right, to say, oh, well, this person's post, you know, a thousand times in Discord. Like, how valuable is that really? And how, and how informative is that really? You know, hard to say. I think that's where it becomes more of having great community managers or marketing folks, right, that are, that just have that engagement and to your point, have the finger on the pulse. Um, you know, and, and I think that's especially true where, you know, there's some games that I've seen uh, that, you know, have, have been driving this sort of, you know, uh, narrative-based concept where they have, you know, effectively, you know, DAO or, or token holders that can vote on, like, how things get named, right? Or sort of what the next progression in the story looks like. And again, in those cases, those are also, to your point, like new sort of interesting things that don't happen in web two, um, you know, but are still like, you know, are they playing the game or are they not playing the game, right? Like, you know, how much is sort of story evolution via votes and actually, um, you know, become a part of the game. And I think, you know, again, those, those can all be quantified, but ultimately in terms of the actual impact of community growth and everything else, I think that's where, yeah, there's data there, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, being able to, again, sort of measure like, okay, you know, is that something that's worth trying to scale and, from, and, and engage from a tracking standpoint? Or, you know, does it come down to there is just a, sort of this tight-knit community and they're VIPs and they need to be treated, you know, um, you know, much like sort of early adopters or inside tracks, right, that, um, that folks have, that, let's say, you know, uh, more uh, competitive games have with sort of the pro gamers. Yeah. Uh, 
we've been kind of skirting around this issue a little bit. I want to come straight into it, which is this notion of, uh, and this is one of the biggest things for me, which is connecting the on-chain and off-chain activity. Mm. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, well, everything on-chain is is transparent, and you can you know track it, you can look at it, and you can analyze it. Um, but off-chain stuff isn't obviously, uh, and yet there are obviously very robust Web two tools uh, to allow you to do that. And there are very, very, very few, if if any, at the moment that really combine the two, the on-chain and the off-chain activity. And so you literally just made some examples where, okay, I have this holder, they have this many NFTs, they've bought them mostly in primary, they've bought these in secondary. Okay, that's all on on-chain stuff. Cool, cool, cool. I can track that. Um, but they also happen to have a bit large Twitter following, or they're very active in Discord, not necessarily my Discord, but somebody else's Discord, um, or they're <laughs> yeah, in, in this many Discords. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's that's the magic that I would like to see happen, where mm-hmm. you can really start to develop a very robust. Uh, I mean, it's a little Big Brother, of course, <laughs> dystopian. Like, okay, you know, like we can track everything you do, but we can already. So, like, you know, fair, yeah. I think it's perfectly fair to say that it would be very valuable, very valuable as a product, as Mm. a tool to be able to connect all those dots across the different presences that they have, whether they be on chain, off chain, on social, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Um, What's happening in that space? Like what tools are we lacking at this moment in time to be able to do that? Um, Mm. And what are you guys doing to, to make that more possible, at least a little bit easier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say with the last part, we're doing a lot. I mean, that's, I think one of, um, one of our core focuses from the beginning, and this, some of this is probably just coming from web two, right. Is, um, when we talked a lot, you know, with a lot of projects and even still today, you know, there's a lot of sort of like web three maxi going on, right. Which, which is not a bad thing in most cases, but when it comes to, you know, like, you know, if you're a game dev and you're thinking about a user, like the reality is like, we all start off as web two normals, right? Like, you know, if you come into web three, like you came in through like a web two channel, whether that's, crypto Twitter or, you know, you know, or, um, you know, games via app store or what have you, you know, you, you were, you were, you were at one point a web two, you know, normie before you came, you know, became a DGen or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, so for us, you know, we really took the approach to saying, you know, like there is behavioral data, right. That exists in web two land today, you know, part of why, uh, you know, it hasn't really been blended together, you know, uh, to date, you know, in our view anyway. And, and what we've done is by is saying, you know, if we can create, you know, web three sort of marketing analytic behavioral data, from on-chain information, then we can actually marry these two things to create a really, really rich perspective and frankly, experiences that you couldn't create before in, in Web2 alone. Uh, I, I think a great example of this, um, you know, that, that just sort of happened with us last week was, you know, we were, um, you know, talking about our customers and, you know, and we saw sort of via our analytics and everything and talking with them that, you know, they had, you know, call it around, you know, 3,000, uh, what we call at-risk users, right? In other words, they hadn't really been active on-chain for, you know, in the last 30 days. Um, but what we saw from the sort of cross section of it is that at least 75% of those users had actually come to their website in the last 30 days, right? So to your point of like, what's sort of the value? I mean, suddenly you get into the situation where you're like, wait, you know, if we think about a Web3 user, not as just the actions on chain, but as like the, the sort of holistic view of everything they're doing. Now, to your point, you suddenly get this really rich perspective where you can say, well, hang on, they're not doing things on chain with us, but they're still coming to our DAP or to our game, you know, like how do we make sure that we re-engage them when they come back? Because like, you know, something's going on, right? Whether it's a lack of market fit or there's a feature lacking or, or something, right? So like, how do we make sure that we recapture their attention? Because presumably they've done something with us once or twice, they want to continue. And I think that's where some of that, that sort of value comes in. Um, 
but again, it's, but that's also more than just discord. Right. So I think, you know, there's some projects that we see where they, um, you know, like they like, all they want to know is like, okay, well, you know, I, I want to connect discord user and wallet. And I just want to know like, you know, how many of the same and like, that's that, that that can be helpful, but it's a very sort of um, it's a very thin right or or a very shallow sort of layer of understanding, versus being able to get into awesome. This users come to your game, you know, like you know, like their their uh, their daily active user activity, you know, is very high. They engage with all their things. They're doing things on chain, you know, and now you can start to run cool, uh, you know, cool even promotions in game because you can see sort of this cross section of heavy secondary market sales. Um, you know, to, you know, high end game activity and things like that. And I think that's really when you blend those two things together where the magic happens. I'm going to switch gears a little. So, yeah, uh, that is where the magic happens. <laughs> I completely agree with you there. Um, but but I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, one of the things that uh, in, in Web 2 is very, very effective um, or, or ha- can be very effective, let's put it that way, is the idea that you're going to poach players from a competitor game, right? Uh, and there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, I mean Facebook is obviously the, the, the best way to do it, but there, there are lots of other ways to do that too through mm. uh, ad networks and uh, other social tools and what have you. Uh, and I'm personally not at all ashamed to admit that uh, I ran marketing for a uh, classic style slots game. So mechanical single pay line uh, through, you know, three uh, symbol game. Um, and uh, back in 2014, 15, we relentlessly targeted uh, a competitor game that was on Facebook Canvas, but not on mobile yet. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were able to kind of make that connection between, okay, there's there's this audience here that's playing this game that's likely to be a very high affinity. We have a mobile product that they can't play at the moment uh, on mobile because that game is on Canvas. We targeted those folks through all of Facebook's tools, and it was incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly effective. Like, incredibly effective. Like the, <laughs> the conversions and the ROI and everything was, was incredible. Um, and that's just not possible right now in Web3, um, unless I'm sorely mistaken. If, if it is possible, you tell me, because I'm going to go and start doing that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, is this a thing? Is this kind of like, okay, I can identify a competitive product. I can literally find a single tool, mm-hmm. in this case, Facebook, allows me to target these players and essentially poach them from this competitor uh, and then vice versa, of course, there's the, there's the flip side, which is like, okay, how do I know if somebody's doing this to me? <laughs> like, how can I you know, better engage my players uh, in my product uh, mm-hmm. to prevent this from happening to me, right? And, mm-hmm. and this is something that is very much, I think, nascent in Web3. Um, mm-hmm. there, there have got to be a lot of competitive products where, I mean, let's take a very obvious example, just you know, NFT communities, right? Let's not even talk mm-hmm. about games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are certain NFT communities that are clearly just a great fit for a new and upcoming NFT community yep. uh, to, to go and target. But other than doing it one by one by one, there isn't mm-hmm. really a great way to have a set of tools or use data and analytics to actually identify where these folks might be. And so mm-hmm. that's really the question for you here is, is that a thing? Are, is anybody developing this? Are you developing this? Um, how can I go about actually identifying communities of users in competing products and target them with my messaging? with my product and, and try to bring them over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, um, I mean, selfishly, that, that's what we've built. I mean, that's a big part of what we built. So, uh, and honestly, that's one of the areas that, you know, that gets me, you know, that gets us most excited is, is this idea of, you know, how do we provide that level of targeting? Um, you know, so for us, I mean, our, our sort of premise, right, kind of from the beginning was, you know, again, in order to be able to actually target people effectively, you have to understand those behaviors. Um, you know, so we started off, 
deep on the analytics side and then sort of built out targeting and have been building out the, the sort of engagement and reach piece on that sort of understand to reach, um, you know, concept. And um, so, so, yeah, I mean, so for us, yes, it's possible. I think, you know, not, not that similar to the question, but, you know, to the question earlier of, you know, like, why do we see less people doing it today? Because, you know, like, until say a platform like Raylion, like it, it's, it's been possible, but kind of the complexity of data and everything else, it's been really expensive. Uh, I mean, and in some cases, right, as a result, you know, impossible to do. Um, you know, and so, you know, to, to your example, one of the things just as a, for instance, to the kind of targeting that you were describing. Um, so we, uh, we were working with a project, um, you know, and uh, one of the things that they were doing was sort of flexing that, you know, the targeting capability that we have within, within the Raylion platform. And um, to exactly your point on the community side, so they, and sorry, I, I took a note on the different things they looked at. So the, the game was um, specifically on Polygon and they were looking to do an NFT drop. And, and honestly, it was, it was really cool, actually, because they even sort of took it past what, you know, what some of the stuff we had thought about. Uh, but they were looking at wallets that were playing similar games, you know, on different chains. Um, and they were using us to, to also then look at, like, of those wallets, which ones actually played games on them. You know, so they used us to also see, like, which ones had been active in sort of the, we call them categories, but like, you know, the gaming category or DeFi. So we had sort of different kind of high-level insights within our platform. But basically saying, okay... How many of these users are active, have been active in the gaming category or with games and Polygon in the last 30 days? You know, how many of them are a part of the following NFT communities? Uh, what types of games have they played? And then, like, what kinds of NFTs do they hold? So they kind of went through this, you know, this big list of stuff to ultimately create, you know, a very targeted list of wallets that they then ran through a variety of sort of acquisition tests, right? So some of it was, you know, more normal ads, say Twitter, you know, crypto Twitter kind of ads. Um, they did some sort of crypto native ads inclusive of um, even some like, I'd say like you know, NFT-based ads, like airdrop sort of ads to wallets. Um, and slide aside there is, is uh, some additional alpha. Those don't work. So like, I think the the overall number of views that they even got was like less than 1% and it was zero conversions. So in case you're debating dropping random NFTs into wallets, uh, turns out that, yep, people do in fact think they're complete scams and they don't click on them. Um, <clears throat> but... Well, that's that's actually super super useful because uh, there, I, I mean, that happens all the time, obviously, mm-hmm. and I haven't actually heard definitively anybody actually come out and say they don't do jack shit. Um, you're telling me they don't do jack shit. I mean, I suspect it as much, but okay, there you go. Early data would be an indication that that they don't work yet. Now, and look, I mean, I think over time, I mean, to me, that's a, that's a really exciting area to innovate. So I think. I, as wallet providers, you know, uh, provide better tooling around it and that sort of thing and better experiences, you know, like that'll probably change, change over time. But yeah, right now, uh, I mean, on a pretty good sized campaign from what we saw, it was, the results were, and I, I don't, I don't, I'd have to go back and double check, but I don't think there was a single conversion that happened. Um, so, you know, but, it, but it's kind of back to your, your initial question, you know, that, tar- that kind of targeting has been really difficult, right? If not impossible before. And like, and honestly, you know, a lot of the time that we spend with our, you know, with our targeting capabilities is, to be able to provide that sort of visibility, right? You know, who's, um, you know, what, not just, you know, what's, you know, uh, where, what are users doing, but, you know, what kinds of users, right, you know, could you actually bring in? And then again, tracking, right? So to, to even see, okay, if you're doing, you know, some kind of vampire attack or promotional campaign or ad or what have you, you know, like how, you know, how much does that audience even actually can, and is it worth your sort of continued time, money, and effort? So. Yeah, uh, this actually brings me to vampire attack. Um, I, I have actually honestly not heard this phrase before. I probably should have heard this phrase before. Um, but I, I, when I was researching this episode, I, I was going through your website, and you actually even mentioned vampire attack on your website. And so I, I had to ask the question, what is a vampire attack? How do you do an effective vampire attack? Um, and, uh, you know, how effective are they, I guess? Uh, I mean, 
I think they've proven pretty effective thus far. So, so a, a vampire attack um, really is when one project targets another project's users, really in an effort to acquire them, um, usually by offering some kind of, of incentive, right, or some kind of reward. So, like the, the most popular example is is like looks so looks rare when they launched, um, they launched effectively with a vampire attack on OpenSea, and and mm-hmm. the way that that attack worked is they basically said uh, if you're an OpenSea user and you've uh, and you have spent I think it was more than a certain amount of ETH using OpenSea, then you can come to LuxRare and claim some number of Lux tokens for free, right? So that was, you know, one of the early, uh, you know, early vampire attacks. Um, you know, and, and if you look at LuxRare, I mean, like they were able to sort of bootstrap the community as a result, you know, they did some other kind of incentive campaigns to, to kind of keep it going. And obviously, you know, they're, you know, they're a marketplace that's, uh, that's in place now. So I think, you know, in terms of uh, can they be successful? I mean, I think as with anything, you know, like if you do it right, you know, I think in this case, you know, the the data thus far anyway shows that vampire attacks, you know, can be successful. Um, you know, but again, I think some of it comes to as well, like of doing it in the right way. So another example would be, you know, we've got a, a game that we're working with and they're looking at doing a vampire attack. And one of the really cool things actually that I liked about it, and this was, this to me was a really actually neat, um, almost like sort of culture setting, you know, you know, um, you know, for the game where, you know, they did sort of the normal stuff like you were actually mentioning targeting wise, where they said, hey, you know, players that play these games or have NFTs from these things on chain, you know, we think would really like our games. So they built a list around that. Um, but then they also said, you know, um, there, there's a handful of games that some of them they had played and they, you know, um, and they had just kind of watched, um, you know, through, say, FTX issues and things like that, you know, collapse, right, or implode or any treasury issues or things like that. Uh, and they said, you know, we want to do a, they were saying they want to do call like a targeted airdrop just to players that have sort of um, you know, that I've almost been like disenfranchised, if you will, right? Like from those games. So almost as a way of saying like, hey, like we know you were in this, you know, it stinks what happened, you know, but, you know, we want to invite you in and reward you for, you know, for being a longtime holder of this thing that sort of went defunct and things like that. And I think that's honestly a great way too, right? To be able to say, look, there was an active community here, that's sort of vampire attack, but almost like in a positive way, because the value isn't there anymore to say, come join us and we'll incentivize, you know, and we'll, you know, even give you a reward, right? For sort of, you know, your, you know uh, your loyalty to this previous game and that sort of thing. We've talked a lot about um, new users uh, and bringing in users from other projects to your project, to other games to your game. Um, what about your existing users? Um, that's another area where you could arguably start using some of the Web2 tools in order to, you know, once you've got the users in your community, once you've got the gamers, the players playing your game, mm-hmm. um, you, you can arguably use almost, you know, any of the, the Web 2 tools. Um, but but how, how do you see it being different in Web 3? You know, is there a difference between effective lifecycle management in Web 3 gaming or Web 3 products in general versus Web 2? Um, mm. What data... What data is different? What data is the same when looking at, okay, is this player engaged? Are they re- retaining properly? Are they coming back on the right days when, when I think they should be coming back? Are they doing the right things, taking the right actions? That, a lot of that is very traditional, you know, mm-hmm. data analytics, you know, user analytics. Um, but, but how is that different in Web3? What have you seen um, different projects, products, teams do uh, differently from, from Web2? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, it's funny what we, it, it depends on the audience a little bit, but, you know, what we see is actually a lot of um, Web3 games, unless they, unless you really came from gaming from a strong background, uh, aren't, aren't even running analytics. Um, you know, and then to your point, some, you know, are running, 
call it like a lightweight Web2 analytics, uh, but few that we've seen are running really in-depth, you know, Web2 analytics alone. Um, you know, almost none, almost none. I mean, it's just to say a very, very small portion are running some kind of Web3 analytics on top of that. But again, usually if they are, it tends to be like the Dune dashboard, right? The more like macroeconomic thing of here's the total token supply and here's what TVL looks like and things of that sort. So, you know, I'd say not sort of meaningful and meaningful um, to driving player engagement, if, you know, as it were. Um, you know, what's, uh, and again, I think some of that is even, you know, at, like with Rayleigh on you, we're starting to see some of that change because we're being able to say, hey, look, you know, if you're using a Web2 tool, awesome. If you want to use ours, awesome. You know, but let's go and take all that really rich Web2 behavioral data, combine it with, you know, with the on-chain data. Uh, and as a result, you can start to really, you know, move from these kind of generic experiences in some cases, right? These really personalized, tailored experiences that bring the two things together. Um, you know, and, and when we think about that and sort of what that looks like, um, you know, a, a really cool instance that, you know, that came up recently. So, um, like I have mentioned before, the idea of, uh, like, you know, we're kind of, so we're starting to do a lot more on the engagement side, right? So it's sort of, once you understand folks, the natural question is, you have the insight, you want to do something with it. Uh, and in particular, when it comes to engaging players and keeping them active, you know, what, uh, what we've been, you know, one of the things that we've rolled out recently is what we call an action prompt. Um, you know, so, you know, so one of the things that we really liked idea-wise from a game that we're working with is this idea of being able to have this really hyper-personalized or hyper-targeted and personalized experience such that when they're in the game and the player's been active after a certain period of time, if they're holding NFTs on chain, you know, if they're sort of contributing in these different ways and they get this very specific action prompt that actually draws them deeper into the community, right? So it, if they click on it, then it gives them an actual special role within their Discord community as a whole. And I think that's where you start to get, you know, to kind of your question earlier, this really neat crossover where, yeah, like a gamer is one, you know, it, like there's a, a grouping of personas that's maybe gamers, but then there's also this other grouping of personas that you can still really connect with and engage that might be, you know, deeper community members. And maybe they don't play but once a month, right? But like, but the impact they have more broadly is really high and you want to reward that, right? So by blending that stuff together, you can start to provide these really, really neat and sort of tailored experiences. Um, another one's onboarding. So to your point on, if you're targeting somebody, you know, if you're, uh, if you're targeting, say, Axie Infinity players, you know, by being able to blend the two data sets uh, and engage players, you can actually say, cool, you know, you, you, know you're, you came and we know that you played Axie Infinity. So maybe they're like, maybe the landing page for them in game is totally different. And the step that you ask them to take is different. And the rewards you give them up front are different. So that sort of engagement, I think, can start to really, you know, transform um, almost as if like, you know, if you were playing a game on Steam, like if you knew, if you knew all the achievements somebody could have and you could gamify that more, like it's sort of that same concept, right? Of imagine having that sort of data available in a way that you can make actionable. What's the what's the biggest surprise? You obviously get to see a lot of different projects and products, and not just games. What's the biggest surprise for you? You know, obviously you've you've come from a rich background of data and analytics and fintech, and you know, presumably a world of numbers, lots and lots of numbers. Um, lots of numbers. <laughs> what what is the most surprising thing that you've seen? Uh, you know, in Web three that that you haven't seen in Web two. Like, what's the what's the biggest shift? I guess. Mm-hmm. from user behavior, player behavior from that world and this world. Uh, and maybe there isn't one because then, again, these are, these are all human beings, right? Like human beings are human <laughs> beings and they're complex individuals. And so you wouldn't expect somebody to be totally different just because they're engaging with Web3. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I'm very curious to hear if you have any insights around like, what's the biggest, weirdest thing that you've seen that you're like, wow, I've not seen this before. Or like, this is 10x bigger or smaller or whatever compared mm. to what I'm used to from, from, uh, you know, previous experience. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the things that, um, you know, the things that, that, that stand out most immediately, you know, is really 
I mean, the community is an obvious side, right? Like the level of community engagement in it one. But, uh, but I think even within that, you know, this like the value of, um, of like an NFT or like a digital collectible, right? You know, whichever sort of, you know, the more casual version, right? Digital collectible versus NFT. Like the value of ownership, right? And, and players getting that. You know, it's, it's amazing to see the results of um, like in, in, in the desire for players to be able to actually like, you know, to own something and what that concept looks like. And I think, you know, it's, it's neat to see like Limit Break and some others really doing and pioneering, you know, ideas of like free to own uh, and even like the NFT factories, right? As, as a, I don't know if that term will stick, but some of those concepts that are happening. Um, but, you know, but what's really neat is just like um, the more that the more that we've been kind of watching it, even as, as I've been thinking about it, there's this almost this aspect where it's like Web3 is almost sort of like inherently gamified, right? Like because all this stuff is on chain, because you can things like you sort of have this level of like inherent gamification um, that, that doesn't really exist on the Web2 side. And, and, and I think honestly, like what's really neat is we'll see that continue to evolve in Web3, which will play really well for game dev because again, like the data we've been talking about uh, and the ability to, to take action on it, like we've been talking about, if that continues to evolve, I think those that are on the forefront, you know, game dev wise, We'll be able to have a really great opportunity to, you know, capture new users at a cost that, you know, that was probably lower than what they experienced before, you know, retain them in ways that were lower and really have almost a little bit more of an open landscape to be able to sort of gamify aspects of the game, right? You know, or of engagement that, you know, that wasn't possible, more than as popular previously that is now becoming, I, I think, what will become more commonplace. And frankly, I think what we'll see too is actually Web2 games. And this is some of, uh, you know, some of where we're looking to, you know, and, and where they're going to want to say, hey, like, we want to bring that same concept to Web2. So I think, you know, I would anticipate over the next year, we'll see a lot of innovation happening in Web3. I wouldn't be surprised if in 24, we don't start to see a lot of Web2 games adopting sort of kind of Web3-esque concepts to drive some of this really cool, you know, new ways of, of engaging users that haven't really been possible in the same way before. And so, uh, I, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised by this because we see this every day, but you calling out this idea of digital, you know, like pride in digital ownership mm-hmm. as a concept. I, it's existed, of course, up until this point, but it it somehow has really had a step function change upwards uh, yeah. with the notion of NFTs and and digital collectibles and Reddit and you know uh, doing what they did mm-hmm. and um, that that is something that whether or not we end up calling them NFTs, which we probably won't in games <laughs> into the future, they've gotten a bit of a bit of a bad name recently, um, mm-hmm. or, or you know, being associated with crypto or whatever. But like this notion of digital ownership, you know, the uniqueness, rarity, things like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's always existed, but I I feel like there's been a real cultural adoption mm-hmm. of that concept um, over the last you know couple of years, mm-hmm. and I think I think you're right. I think that's to me shouldn't be surprising as a, as a game, long-time game dev. Um, people do take pride in their game assets, of course, always, always mm-hmm. have, always will. Um, but it feels, it feels different this time in, in a way where you are actually showcasing that, that digital collectible or NFT right, right. in ways that, that hasn't really happened in the past. And, and this mm-hmm. notion of uniqueness hasn't really existed in gaming up until this point. And I do think that is one of the things that has really changed uh, mm-hmm. user behavior in, in some ways, um, because you are not just playing a game and, and doing well in it and earning loot and getting stuff, but you actually like are playing with your thing, your asset, mm-hmm. your character, your whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting to hear you kind of like that to me is intuitive, um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm glad to hear that the data that you're seeing from multiple projects kind of backs, backs that up 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Because that, I mean, that's, I, I think a lot of ways, a lot of game devs are taking that bet, right? They're like, mm-hmm. well, we've heard about digital ownership. We've heard about NFTs. Like we've heard about people spending a bunch of money on, you know, um, on characters and what have you. And like, cool, that's interesting. Like let's, let's lean into that. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of leaning in has happened at the financial level or like, right. oh, look, there's, there's, you know, a financial reason to do this. I think fewer game devs have really leaned into the, what does it actually mean to own a digital asset? Like mm-hmm. your, your game character. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, could, I could philosophize about this for, for, for a long time because this is a really fascinating topic to me and really um, uh, intriguing. And I'm just very glad that you're here to kind of validate from a broader data set that, yes, that is a thing that you're mm-hmm. seeing that hasn't necessarily been as true as it is now from, yeah, from Web2. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, awesome. and honestly, I, I think there's a really neat opportunity I mean, even with that for, you know, for game devs to, to like to explore that space. I mean, like you see folks like Azuki, for example, where, you know, even the idea of like, you know, you own a particular digital item and as a result, it sort of unlocks a physical item for you. And I could see, you know, in a world where it's like, you know, if you're a fan of, I'm a fan of, you know, card games and things like that, whether it's digital or otherwise. And, you know, the idea of being able to take even this, you know, even something that I own digitally and now all of a sudden, you know, like what gets shipped to me is like is some physical rendition of that, right? And it's like, wow. Like, so, you know, like even that sort of, I think the crossover aspects of that will become really interesting, you know, and like, and you can even see the evidence of like, if you look at the, if those projects that use digital, um, digital goods or collectibles from a marketing standpoint, right? So they'll say, Hey, if you retweet this, you know, you get this NFT, you know, hundred percent of the time, right? Then, you know, the retweets on those sorts of, you know, actions versus ones without the reward, you know, is, is higher, right? So I think, you know, we're going to see that continue to evolve and, uh, and honestly, it'll be, it'll be great to see, you know, what kinds of ideas folks come up with and, and how kind of those sorts of interactions innovate and what that drives. Yeah, so so we're building on Solana um, and uh, there was a recent kind of uh, hype moment, meme moment, where uh, if, if you're a holder of certain projects, uh, you would get airdropped um, this coin called Bonk. Yeah, Bonk. And I got a bunch of Bonk uh, and I was on vacation <laughs> when I got it. And then I, I saw everybody tweeting about Bonk um, I was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, oh, Solana's back. You know, crypto's back. Yay, back <laughs> to the bull market. Um, and uh, yeah, my bonk ended up being worth n- not an insignificant sum. And I was like, cool. And I, I did sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've learned my lessons from, from 2022. Um, but, but the point I'm making there is it, it, because it's on chain, because it's Web3, you can hmm. do things that like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to reward people who are holders of X, Y, and Z. And you can't really do that in the, in the real world, right? In Web2, like, mm-hmm. it'd be quite hard to identify people who actually hold, like, I can identify that you've played a certain game, but I don't know if you actually still own that game or you still play right. that game or you're active in that game. Like, and that's the kind of stuff that I think you're, you're right, gets really interesting really quickly um, in Web3. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily about digital ownership. It's, it's about what you can do when there's this level of transparency mm-hmm. uh, around what you actually own at that moment in time or where you've actually been active or like mm-hmm. how many times you did X, Y, or Z. And that's really interesting, both from a marketing perspective, but also from a, you mentioned uh, Web3 is gamified by definition in a way that mm-hmm. Web2 really isn't. Uh, it really does gamify the the entire ecosystem in a way that is is really unique and really fascinating. And I, I, I don't really have a, uh, a, a core takeaway on this one, but it's just the idea that you can go and identify people based on what they actually own and what they're actually doing at this moment in time 
and then do something meta around that, whether it be mm-hmm. airdrop bonk or whatever. Um, that's just a silly meme, but but it does open up doors um, in in really interesting ways. And I think the data is going to be needed in order to be able to because one of the things that bonk didn't do is they punished D gods, which is a Mm-hmm. The, the biggest project, NFT project on on Solana, uh, yeah. because they're they're leaving, um, mm-hmm. and so it was like this whole thing, you know, it was like this whole drama around like, well, DGAS holders didn't get any, and anyway, anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, but that's where you need that data, right? Like you need that data yep. in order to identify like these are the these are the people, this is this community of people who hold these particular projects, and they've mm-hmm. taken certain actions, and I can now do something, right? Something actionable. Mm-hmm. Around that information, and that that has just not been true in Web two. So, yeah, um, anyway, I'm very grateful for what you're doing and what you're building. Um, one of my big Appreciate passion it. passions is um, data analytics. Really trying to understand that that user journey, all the way from you know acquiring the user through you know lifecycle mm-hmm. management to you know when they inevitably at some point uh, decide to leave. Um, understanding that journey has to happen through data, and there's there's yep. really no other way to. To do that, otherwise, it's just an opinion, right? To go back to the very yeah. beginning. Absolutely. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. Go, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that, that's, you know, I'd say with, with a lot of projects that we've worked with, that's, that's sort of, that's been the starting point, right? And that's what we've heard a lot of is it's like, oh, you know, suddenly, you know, you kind of flip on the lights and you can see what's going on in the room and you can start making some of those decisions. And, you know, and even like, you know, the stuff that, you, that you're getting excited about on the digital side and the gamification side, you know, which I think is, is spot on is, you know, like as platforms, you know, like ours, you know, become available and make some of these things easier. You know, it'll be neat to see that sort of next wave of, of, you know, innovative and creative ideas happen because suddenly all that stuff becomes unlocked versus, you know, being stuck in a situation where you're like, well, I wish I could measure it, but I'm going to do the best with what I have now, right? Now what that is is quite a lot more, so a lot more should come. Yeah. I mean, so much of, of what has happened in Web3, so I mean, and it's a cliche to say we're so early. We, we are so early. A lot of it so far has just been, you know, like, oh, look, that seems to be working. I'm going to copy that, right? And that's fine. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But that's not really mm-hmm. very data-driven or data-informed approach. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. look, that looks like it's successful. I'm going to do the same thing. And there's really not been any way of measuring what success or failure looks like or whether that even was successful <laughs> um, yeah, in the yeah. first place. Right. Absolutely. So, so uh, I, I think that's the next wave that's, that's going to be, that's going to unlock the next, you know, set of innovation in web three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that web three is here to stay and this is absolutely a, a movement. Um, it's just going through a, a bit of a blip, like just like mm-hmm. many movements do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that data and analytics is the thing that's going to unlock the ability for developers you know, uh, game developers and, and others too, just developers in general, to mm-hmm. uh, unlock those user insights and, and really get that next wave of, of uh, uh, adoption and innovation happening. So, all oh, right. Well, with that, I think we we have reached the uh, the end here. I uh, just want to say a huge thank you, Nathan, for for being on the pod again. Very appreciative yeah. of what you're building, you. what you're doing. Uh, very valuable stuff, and and you know more valuable than people really give data credit for. Data is is incredibly valuable. Um, we uh, also want to say a big uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with more interviews, more insights, uh, more analysis uh, from the weird and wonderful world of Web3. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send requests uh, for guests, uh, questions, or any feedback to me. My email is nico at novic.co and you can always find me on Twitter at nicothefin. DMs are always open. Uh, Nathan, thank you once again. <laughs>